morning. Hope you all had a have a good week so far and ready for this next week ahead. And I'm glad you're here. Yay, you are too. All right, good. All right, yay. <coughs> um, if you have your Bible with you, we're gonna we're still in Joshua, as you can see behind me. We're gonna be in Joshua chapter five, beginning in verse thirteen this morning, and we'll actually work our way into chapter six, but not too far. We'll kind of leave it. With a cliffhanger, as uh, Jason said, we'll have a guest speaker next week, and um, if you didn't catch on, Jason will be uh, bringing the message next week, and uh, so be praying for him as he prepares for that. But uh, we'll be in Joshua chapter 5, Joshua's in the Old Testament, <coughs> right before Judges, and uh, we'll be in verse 13 here in a second, but uh, do you all remember, they're not too old commercials, but the Southwest Airlines commercial with the tagline, Want to Get Away? Remember those? I mean, I, I, whoever thought of that, I thought was a, a genius because they were comical and yet they got to the point and, and, and we remember the commercial still. But if you're struggling to do so, they, they kind of built this awkward, embarrassing moment for an individual and then it would just end with want to get away and go to Southwest Airlines. And my favorite two were uh, the one where they're, they're both were during a date situation. One was a man and a, a woman, they were at his apartment, and she excuses herself to go to the restroom. And as she's in there, she opens the medicine cabinet and then sees, like, all these uh, wonderful medications. And so she picks one up to look at it, and the entire thing falls down and makes a huge noise. And then you get the slogan, want to get away? And and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. And then the other one, my, my favorite, and this is probably because I'm a guy, my favorite <coughs> was – uh, another date situation, the guy was dropping the girl off at the house, and they were wrapping up the date, and it must have been a good date because they ended with a goodnight kiss, and then she w- gets out of the car and begins walking to her house or apartment, whatever it is, and then he just, like, lets one rip, um, just the biggest gas, and, you know, he, you, you should look, at, he does the whole angle thing, and, and then um, – he looks over after he's done and sees that her phone's still on the seat. And so she comes back and opens the door and just her face is like. <laughs> and then, you know, the caption, want to get away. Uh, I, I can't help but think that is Joshua beginning in verse 13 as he is facing this impossible task, being commissioned by God to lead God's people into the conquest of the promised land. But what we're going to see this morning is before Joshua can succeed in going with God, he needed a proper perspective, or maybe better yet, a perspective realignment. If you weren't here last week, uh, the crossing of the Jordan River kind of ended in this strange celebration and this awkward command, at least for the men within the Israelite camp, as as soon as they get across, the Lord commands Joshua to have all the men, that is all the fighting men, all the people who had been born out of coming out of Egypt, to be circumcised. And so they are rendered immobile as they come across this Jordan River with the river behind them and these nations in front of them. And I can't imagine how incredible of a motivational speaker Joshua must have been to convince thousands of men to go through this medical procedure, which is going to lead them uh, moaning and complaining uh, for several days. But Scripture says that Israel was very compliant. 
And after the command of circumcision, they had a celebration of Passover. You can see there in verse 10 of chapter 5. And then they ate the fruit of the land. And then beginning in verse 13, we read that when Joshua was by Jericho. Now, ladies, show of hands, how many of your men in your life are the worst patients ever when they're sick or something is hurting? This is a truthful place, people. Come on. All right. All right, we men, can we honestly confess, men, that we're probably the worst people to be around if we're sick or something's hurting? Part of it is because if men, when we get sick, what do we first do? Slap some dirt on it, we'll walk it off, and we'll get better. So we kind of put it off. Even when our wives say, maybe you should go to the doctor, I'll be fine, right? I'll be fine, I'll get over it, I'll get past it. And so I'm like this where, you know, I start to feel kind of weird or different. Sometimes I'll just collapse and I'll, and I'll sleep for a little bit, but I'll just try to push through. You know, I'm just going to man up. I'm going to macho my way through this. And eventually it ends to the point where we men just kind of find ourselves in bed and we're at the option, you know, I'm either going to die or I'm going to get through this. And so we apologize. I apologize on behalf of all men here this morning because, you know, I, particularly when I'm sick, want to be left alone. Just let me be in my bed. Let, let you, you, Jamie, have to do this balancing act because I, I want to be left alone and feel like dying, but I want you to understand when I want you to come in, intercede so I don't die, right? And so luckily there's text messages so I can, like, be up in our bedroom. I can send a text, water, please, and, you know, <laughs> and, and just be babied back to health. Um, and so this is the situation Joshua's in is because all of the men except for him, Joshua and Caleb, are the only Israelite men that have been circumcised. And so back at camp, can you imagine the grumbling and complaining that is going on by the thousands of men? I mean, you should feel sorry for women at this point in time in this, in this passage of Scripture. They're having to deal with this. So it's no wonder that we begin verse 13, Joshua's by Jericho because Joshua probably wanted to get away he probably wanted to get out of that situation and it's interesting because the text doesn't let us know exactly why Joshua is by Jericho but it does let us know that he's by himself verse 13 Joshua is by Jericho it does not read Joshua and Israel is by Jericho we're told uh, a few verses earlier beginning in verse 9 that Israel's camped at Gilgal and Jericho's a little under five miles from Gilgal. So Joshua at some point in time has to get up, and he makes this trek by himself. Caleb's not with him. He's just going out by himself. And we don't exactly know why he's going to Jericho, but I imagine the thought of the impossible task before him is weighing on his mind. God has called Joshua and commanded Joshua to do something. And like us, we want to be obedient to God's commands. We want to be where God wants us to be and be doing what God wants to be doing and, and going where God wants us to go. But a lot of times when God issues the command, it seems like these walls and obstacles begin to emerge. And can you imagine Joshua's complaint to God? He look, you called me. You, this was your idea, God. You commissioned me to do this thing, to lead these people. And now we finally get into the land that you tell us to go to. And once we get across, you immobilize my entire army. And now you still tell me you want me to take this land with these people. So, all right, God, 
What's going on? Imagine he was aggravated. Imagine like us men, he wanted to have a plan. He wanted to figure it out and how to plan this out. And that's probably why he's by Jericho. He's trying to get out a, a battle plan for this. How are we going to do this? How am I going to take this fortified city with these men who can barely walk right now? Maybe he's trying to spot out the cords hanging out of Rahab's window so he knows, okay, we've got to take this city, but we've got to leave that spot. And Joshua is bombarded. And in verse 13, it tells us that he was not only by Jericho, but he lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his, with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? So Joshua is by Jericho. Obviously, he wants to get an understanding of Jericho, maybe to figure this out. But as he looks up, instead of seeing Jericho, he sees this man before him, who he doesn't know who it is at this moment in time, with a sword drawn. And because Joshua has war on the mind, because he knows what he's supposed to do, but trying to figure out how he's supposed to do it, he asks this man the question, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? He did straight to the point. Joshua wants to know who this unidentified, ready-for-battle individual is and who he's going to be fighting for. And no doubt, when the answer comes, it's not the answer Joshua was expecting in verse 14. And he, and this is the man with the sword, said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. No isn't an answer we typically want to get from God. We ask God questions, and we lift prayers up to God, and we receive the answer of no. That's not typically saying that we come to church and worship God for. Thank you for telling us no, but no, in fact, is an answer. It's an answer to our prayers, no matter how disheartening. And the reply of no is what this commander of the army of the Lord tells Joshua. And for us, and, and the reason is because of the man's appearance. This commander did not come to Joshua and reveal himself to Joshua to show that he was playing favorites or that he was picking sides. Even though that's what we want God to do for us, right? We want God to make it abundantly clear he's on our side. He's on our team. That's why we pray for other teams to lose and our team to win, right? We want God to prove himself you're for us, not against us. But this is not the reason God sends this commander of the army of the Lord to Joshua. God has already revealed to Joshua and Israel that he was for them. And God has already revealed to us time and time again that he is for us. One of my favorite passages in Scripture comes from Romans 8.31. And this is just half of the verse that says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And God has shown that he is for us time and time again by our salvation, by the forgiveness for our sins, by the promise of eternal life, by his Holy Spirit inside of us, by giving us his word that we can hear his voice speaking us to speaking to our hearts. God does not need to declare to us, nor did he need to declare to Joshua at this moment his allegiance to his people. He, done, he had done it through Egypt. He had done it through the Red Sea. He had done it through giving the law. He had done it through providing for them in the wilderness. He had done it through the Jordan River just recently. He had done it through commanding the to reinstitute the circumcision. He had done it through the celebration of Passover in the land and the eating of the fruit. 
So this visit here isn't a visit for God to declare he was picking a side, but rather to give Joshua a proper perspective or a perspective realignment on what was going through Joshua's mind. God needed to realign Joshua's perspective. And God uses this approach in Scripture at other times where he sends the commander of the army of the Lord. He does it with Balaam and his donkey when he tries to get Balaam's attention, but only the donkey can see. He does it with David, and David's battling with his sinful choices. He sends the commander with the sword drawn to realign their perspectives. And God needed to dire- redirect Joshua's heart, but to do so, God had to get in Joshua's way. And sometimes that's what God has to do for us. He has to redirect our heart, and to do so, he has to get in our way. This figure revealed to Joshua that though God had commanded Joshua to lead Israel, Joshua was not the one in charge. He might have been the commander of Israel, but this commander had more authority than him. And so Joshua, in verse 14, fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? That word Lord is not the, the deity title, but the word master. And Joshua is titling himself as the lowest servant before him. He understood that this figure was greater than he was. He held more authority than he ever could. This commander also revealed that Joshua's fighting men may not have been physically ready to go to battle, but the commander of the army of the Lord was standing on the battlefield already with a sword drawn. And as the men heeled back in camp, revealing to Joshua that the Lord was already there on the battlefield ready to go. Where it may be more important is going back to verse 13. Again, Joshua is by himself. He's by Jericho. And he lifts up his eyes and he looks. What do you think Joshua was wanting to look at? He obviously wasn't expecting this individual to appear. So if he's by Jericho and he looks up his eyes to look, what do you think he's wanting to look at? Jericho. He's wanting to look at the obstacle in front of him. He's wanting to look at that thing that he doesn't know how this is going to be accomplished to do what God wants him to do. He's wanting to look at that obstacle to his faithfulness to the word of God over him. And then you notice where God sets his commander? Right in Joshua's line of sight. So when Joshua looks up to see the obstacle, instead he sees the remover of the obstacle. And this is what God does for us. God stood in between. God stood in between Joshua's obstacle. God stood in between Joshua's hard choices that were no doubt going through his mind. God God stood in between Joshua's impossibilities. God stood in between Joshua's worries and concerns. God stood in between Joshua's plans. And men, aren't we plan makers? We got to figure out the steps. And if you're like me, if they don't go according to my plan, then it's it's all a mess. Well, God stood in between there because God didn't want Joshua to focus on Jericho. God wanted Joshua to focus on him. And if you're going through an obstacle that's testing your faith, if there's something on the horizon, you don't know how this is going to happen or something God has called you to do and you're giving God excuses. Here's the thing. You are like Joshua in this moment. You're wanting to look up and see the obstacle. But you need to realize that God is standing in between and he wants you to see him. 
the one who's called you to live through that obstacle. God has to tell Joshua's focus and his concerns and his worries and his impossibilities, no. No, Joshua. I think in our own life, in my life, I become overwhelmed with obvious things that lay in front of me. You know, some of y'all are on Facebook, and if you're not, then that's fine too. Some of y'all saw this last week that Mike and Charlie and I got together and, and spent some time talking, actually several hours talking and, and praying, talking about Harvest Hill, talking about what God has been doing, talk about what God is doing that we're aware of and where we believe God is leading us to go, and we want to be going with God. And, and as we talk about these things, you start thinking about obstacles, roadblocks, walls that that are there, and we don't know how to get through these walls. We don't know how to get through these obstacles. And in that moment, we began talking about this together and turning to the Word of God and spending some time in prayer about that. We began finding a release. Because our focus as individuals and as a church cannot be on what may stop us from doing what God wants us to do. Our impossibilities are not impossibilities to God. And so we need to know, as Joshua need to know, needed to know in this moment, that we serve and are loved by a God who stands in between those things. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 139 that you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. That word hem, Psalm 139 verse 5, means to be enclosed, confined, and shut in. The psalmist says that he's, he is aware of God's presence and God's knowledge and his love and his provision, that he closes in over his people. God fully wraps our past, present, and future in his hands. He wraps our comings and our goings. And to have the hand of God upon us is to speak of this confidence reassurance that God's resting presence continues to dwell upon us as his people, his faithfulness. So God stands between Joshua and Jericho so that all that Joshua can see is God, not Jericho. And this is what Jesus commands us to do when we face our own worries and our concerns. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I'd like to invite Jackson and Bridges to begin working their way back up to the front. Ask them to sing a song to give us some perspective. And as they do, I wish God would make it blatantly obvious in my life, and I'm sure you do as well, where he just pops up and gets in the way and, and makes himself visibly known. But this is why God gives us his word. His word reminds us that he stands in between our worries and is ready to fight for us even when we aren't ready to fight. Joshua may have been out here alone, but God reminded him that he was not alone. Joshua was probably being bombarded by his fears and his worries and concerns and how to do this. How is this even possible? But God comes and he stands between Joshua and what Joshua is wrestling with. Just as God stands between our fears and fights for us and continually fights for us. You may be here right now in this moment and there is something you're wrestling with. But no, God stands in between he does not let you go through that alone. He is with you. Promises to never leave you or forsake you. And so Bridget and Jackson are going to lead us through this song real quick. I'm just going to ask you to listen.
never been a moment you were forgotten you are not hopeless though you have been broken your innocence stolen i hear you whisper underneath your breath i hear your presence is on you as if you're his child. His presence is in you. His presence is all around you. Whatever battle we may be facing, maybe it's a battle of faithfulness, maybe it's a battle with an addiction, maybe it's a battle of just being obedient. Whatever battle we're facing, 
The promise of God's word is we never face these battles alone, but in the power and the love of God within us, over us. And is that power that makes anything that seems impossible possible. My favorite story is growing up from the Bible is, is David and Goliath. I mean, who didn't love that story as a kid? And this David, this little kid, probably about the age of my son now, Ethan, goes out and faces this experienced warrior, this huge man. Anybody remember David's response when people doubted him? Verse 47, chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, David said, For the battle is the Lord's. It wasn't David's battle. It wasn't even Israel's battle. The battle is the Lord's. And our battles in, in life belong to God because we belong to God. As God's people, we will never face a battle alone, but under the full power and authority of God over us. But there's another question we've got to ask, and some of y'all are probably thrown off because usually they don't sing until the invitation time. And So get your Bible back out as you put it away. Who is this commander? It doesn't say it's an angel of the army of the Lord, but it says commander there in verse 14. The term commander indicates an authority figure, yet one who's superior is the king. In this case, is God himself. So Joshua understood, as we understand, that this figure was superior to himself, but it's not like an angel. When you look in Scripture, when angels showed up in the presence of, of mere mortals, they always came with fear not or as a message from God. But this angel never says that. Matter of fact, when men were encountered by angels, they would typically go as Joshua does and bow down in worship, to which the angels would rebuke them for doing such a thing. But there's no rebuke here in, in Joshua's worship. In verse 15, it says, The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, since we know that God alone is holy, and he alone is worthy of worship, not the angels, not the heavenly beings, but God. That what we get here is this beautiful picture of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. Revelation depicts Jesus coming with his army with a sword in hand, leading the charge. And Daniel, a fourth figure, appears in the furnace, whom the king says he appeared like the sons of the gods. Because there's no command to fear not. There's no rebuke in Joshua's reverential worship. The logical conclusion here is Joshua is meeting Jesus. Or Yeshua is appearing to Yehoshua. Joshua came to Jericho to see Jericho with his own eyes, but instead he met God. And God gave him a proper perspective, not of Jericho and its mighty walls, but of a holy God worthy of worship. And I think this is where we need the reminder that Joshua needed. Joshua needed to be reminded who was with him, who he represented, and where his focus should truly be. Where God is, holiness is. The Bible says when we gather together in the name of Jesus Christ, matter of fact, when only two gather together in the name of Jesus Christ, God is there. The holy, holy, holy God is there. And just go to the book of Revelation and see what's happening in the heavenly beings around the holiness of God and what they're doing. They're not concerned with anything other than His holiness and His power and His might and His strength and His glory. 
So whatever battles we may be facing, what God is doing here to Joshua needs to do to us is to realign our focus, not to focus on the obstacle or the battle or whatever is there laying before us, keeping us from going where God is going. But instead, I'm going to focus on the holy God who alone is worthy of my worship. Because when I start focusing on that and start having concerns about that and worries about that, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to worship that. That's going to consume my mind and my heart. And God comes to Joshua and says, hey, look at me. Keep your eyes on me. And once Joshua gets to the proper place of putting God in his proper place and moves to a place of worship, chapter 6, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because the people of Israel now went out, and no one went out and came in. Verse 2, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands with its kings and mighty men of valor. I have given Jericho into your hands. Once Joshua's perspective changed to focus on the proper thing, God then came, as God came to Moses in a similar situation, and revealed the plan. And I doubt, if you want to read chapter 6 later today, we'll deal with it here in a couple weeks, but I doubt the plan that God had for Jericho was a plan that Joshua was even allowing to be on the, the, the battle plan or the game board, right? But he comes and he issues confidence into Joshua's heart. I have given Jericho to you. The word given is gifted it. I'm handing it to you. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need to face it. All you need to do is keep your eyes on me. And no matter what battle you're facing in life, this is what God comes to us this morning. Maybe we need a realignment of our perspective. Maybe there's something we're so worried about, whether it's money or relationships or teachers who worry about school here in you know, less than a month. I don't know. But God says, focus on me. Focus on me. Because I am with you, and I will never leave you, forsake you. I will be with you to the end of the age. The story reminds me of something a little even more significant. God had to stand in between Joshua. And this is exactly what God did for every single individual here. Because the Bible reveals that we are all sinners. We all do things that we shouldn't. We do things that are against the holiness of God. And we are deserving of God's holy wrath upon our sin. This is what the Bible refers to as judgment day. Where God will put every, every tribe, every nation, every tongue before him. And he will separate the sheep and the goats, the righteous from the unrighteous. And the Bible says if our sins are not paid for, are not atoned for, we will be eternally separated from God in hell. But here's what God did in his love and his faithfulness and his holiness and his righteousness. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to stand in between our sin and our punishment for our sin through Jesus on the cross. When Jesus took our sins and they placed him in a tomb, but he rose three days later, the Bible says, when I admit that I'm a sinner, I do things I should not do. I take, I turn my eyes away from God at times. I worship things that, that I put in God's place at times. I'm a sinner, but I believe that God loves me that much. He is faithful to me that much. He has the power and authority to do this for me. That Jesus Christ died for my sins. He took my penalty, my punishment, my wage. And he died and he put him in a tomb and he rose again. And the Bible says he stood in between. And I place my faith in that because I believe it in my heart to be true. The Bible says I confess it with my mouth. 
and I will be faithful. I don't know where everyone is here this morning, but I do know this. If you do not have Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, there's nothing standing in between you and God's judgment upon you. And God wants to change that today. And just as he was gifting Jericho to Joshua, God gifts us salvation today. Is today the day of your salvation? Maybe you're here and you've already accepted Christ, but you know that God is reminding you, you need to readjust your perspective. You're putting something in the place that only God should be. And maybe you need to be like Joshua and you just come and bow down before him in reverence or worship and say you're sorry. I'm going to come to the time of invitation and invite Jackson to come back up. I know God has spoken and now's the time where we don't just be hearers of God's word but doers. If you need Jesus, your Lord and Savior, I invite you to come. If you just need to come and kneel before the Father, I invite you to come. But let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises that you are always with us. Thank you you won't have to go through anything alone as, as your children. And the psalmist said that even though he walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he would fear no evil because you were with him. And Father, I don't know what everyone's going through in this time. We all may be having great, great moments, but Lord, we do know battles come. We know that you know battles come, and you know what those battles are. Father, I pray that you give us obedience, a willing spirit just to keep our eyes tuned to you. Forgive us those times we become distracted and allow things to become bigger than what they are, bigger than, than you, Lord. I pray for those here this morning where your spirit is revealed that they do not have you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that you give them the boldness and courage to walk down and let it be known they want to be saved this morning. Let your spirit just come upon them in such a way they can't stay where they are. Lord, you are good. Forgive me if I've gotten in your way. But Lord, only let your word, its truth, be what settles in our hearts. on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I invite you to stand.